The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. If you have a Bible, let's open it to Matthew chapter 23. We're going to begin with uh, verse 37, where Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. Notice there's an exclamation point. And I don't know if you've ever done this. You know, when you're reading, a lot of times we're, okay, I want some information, some doctrine. I want something to chew on. Uh, Mentally, what's the truth? But these are real stories, real events. When Jesus delivered this, uh, this message, have you ever tried to imagine hearing his voice? When you see an exclamation point, it means he raised his voice. He, you could hear the emotion and the voice of Jesus. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones, those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. So I want to begin here with the first life lesson uh, from verse 37. How often I wanted to gather your children together. When Jesus delivers this, in, in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, it tells us that Jesus wept as he looked at the city of Jerusalem. As Jesus beholds the city of Jerusalem, and by the way, he's going to be now in the next chapter, he's on the Mount of Olives, which is across the Kidron Valley. It's a little bit higher in elevation, and you're looking down on the Mount Moriah, the Temple Mount, and as Jesus sees it, he breaks down emotionally and weeps. Now, everybody here, if you're a human being, uh, I don't care who you are, you're, you're, if you have blood in your veins and you have a heartbeat, there will be tears. There will be emotion. And God created us in his own image and after his own likeness. There, there's no one, listen, more emotional in the universe than God. And you were made like him. And God made us emotional so that it helps us process uh, our thoughts and our feelings, and it will express itself in a visible way outwardly. Now, here's what's interesting, though. With all the, because the Bible says that through many trials and many tribulations, we enter into the kingdom of heaven. And, and I, you know, look, I don't care how, I used to think when I was younger that if, if I become more spiritual and a better disciple, I don't have to, you know, go through as much pain or whatever, but it doesn't really work like that. Everybody has, you have your own cup of suffering. Remember Jesus said, this is the cup, and, so, and he was praying and sweating as it were, gray drops of blood, that was his cup to go to the cross, and, and he bore that for us. But guess what? You get your own cup. And your own cup of suffering, nobody else will ever drink your cup. It's what you will experience. It's your heartaches, your heartbreaks, your disappointments, your pain, your sorrows. And and God has a redemptive plan and purpose uh, for all of those tears. So this is the way it is. Until we get to heaven through many trials, many tribulations, and if I may add, many tears, we enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
The only other time that Jesus wept was at the tomb of Lazarus. You remember that he had this family of friends, um, which is very precious to me because he, he owned nothing. He, he came as the incarnation of God, and he wanted to relate to the poorest human being who's ever lived, who literally had nothing. Jesus can say, I can relate to you. I love it. Seven billion people on the planet, not one human being can point a finger and say, you don't know what it's like to be a human being in my circumstances. No, Jesus went Wherever you've been, he went there and a thousand miles deeper in every single form and fashion. We have not a high priest that cannot be touched by our weaknesses and infirmities. He knows it all and has been there. And therefore, he is a marvelous and wonderful representative and a high priest. Amen? Amen. So he was uh, there and, and he owned nothing. And so he was dependent upon the generosity, the offerings for his ministry, traveling around, and he had the disciples, and, and the offerings of people who believed in him as the Messiah, going from town to town, village to village, and proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. So he, if he went to Jerusalem, either he slept under the stars, or if he had stayed in a home, it was the home of a family. So there were two sisters, Martha and Mary, and then there was Lazarus, and Lazarus dies, and then we know that Jesus came, even when he heard about, oh, he's sick, and Jesus delayed, and by the time he got there, he was dead for four days. And Jesus stands in front of the tomb. Now, know this, he knew that he was called, and his father wanted him to resurrect Lazarus from the dead. This is days before his own resurrection. He wants to prove that he is the author of life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. So he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but when he stood in front of the tomb, it says the shortest verse in the Bible, two words. What is it? Jesus wept. Why was he weeping if he's like ready to go, Lazarus, come forth in the big celebration, he's alive from the dead? I believe it's telling us that for that moment, in, our, in his humanity, the incarnation, full, not half man, half God. Here's the incarnation. Fully God and fully human, 100%. And he stood there and he saw the effect that it had upon Martha, whom he loved, and Mary, her sister, whom he loved, let alone his friend Lazarus. And for all who have ever been at a graveside of a loved one who died and felt the pain and separation and agony of the loss of that person's life, and all that, Jesus felt it, and Jesus wept. But also the other time here is when he is looking at Jerusalem and weeping over this city. And his, here's his heart in that moment. Why is he weeping over Jerusalem? Because he realizes they have rejected him. The leadership of Israel has rejected him as the Messiah. Therefore, he cannot bring the fullness of the kingdom as God desired and planned. And because he was a prophet, he saw Jerusalem and he saw not only the present, he saw the near future when the Roman army, because of his rejection, the Roman army would come in and destroy the city of Jerusalem and they would literally tear down the, the temple. I don't know if you know this, but history records, because Jesus prophesied that. He said, not one stone will be left on top of another. And history records that the Roman army were so angry at the Jewish people and all their rebellions and revolts, they employed the Roman army to dismantle 
the, the stone, every last stone, and those of us who have been to Israel can verify the archaeological evidence is right there down below in huge, massive Jerusalem stone uh, blocks that have been broken and crashed. They were pushed by the Roman army. To this day, there's not one stone left on top of another on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus, seeing what is coming, he says, here's my heart. And he's weeping. He's brokenhearted. I want to protect you. I, like a mother hen, I want to put my arms around you. I want you to be safe. And what it also reveals, this weeping that is coming out, that follows his rebuking, it sounds like, wow, you know, woe unto you, you hypocrites. And we think, whoa, he's angry at them. And some people make the mistake of thinking when Jesus speaks out of anger, he's speaking out of hatred, judgment that is hatred. No, this proves that it was out of, out of a heart of love, that it broke his heart, not because of, of him, but because of what would come to them, what they would go through, the result of their rejection of the Messiah, how it would they would lose their families, they would lose their farms, they would lose their city, they would lose their temple, they would lose their nation, they would lose everything and be scattered to the four corners of the earth. And he related to that. So I just want to make an obvious application, which is clear here. Those guys that were in front of Jesus were sinning big time and rejecting him and it broke God's heart. So I want you to realize that there's a lesson here. Even when we're in sin, even when we're in rebellion, uh, even when we're not listening, even when we're not paying attention, God's heart is, I want to forgive you. I want to embrace you. I want to heal you. I want to reach out to you. I want to put my arms around you. That's the heart of the Lord. That's what he wants to do for all of the pain and suffering that is going on in our world right now. That's his heart, broken for this world, desiring that he might put his arms around them and, and make them safe. And that is his heart toward you every single day of your life. Amen? That is his attitude and his heart toward you. So what's interesting also is there is a great deal of passion in this. He doesn't just say Jerusalem once. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He says it twice. There are several times in the Bible when Jesus, when he was very passionate, would say a name uh, twice. We just talked about Martha and Mary here in Luke 10, verses 41 and 42, he does it again. Let's read it out loud. Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. <laughs> so that story, you know, Jesus gets invited, uh, to this house of two sisters and a brother. And how many of you would love to have Jesus come to lunch, uh, you know, this afternoon? Would you be, you know, would that be awesome? It would be so amazing. And then, so what would you do? What, what kind of, where, where would you go for food? What would you get him? What would you serve him? And, you know, it's a prophet. He's a Messiah, you know, all of this. And so Martha is in there and she's working her head off, trying to get the best meal for the greatest man, prophet, Messiah, she's ever had in her life. And where's her sister Mary? Sitting at the feet of Jesus, doing nothing, not helping out. And I can imagine Martha looking in there and waiting and wondering and kind of giving a nod, giving a look. Mary, hello, I'm in here. Maybe banging a cupboard door a little louder. <laughs> hello, I'm preparing. And finally, and Mary's just saying, ah, oh, speak more. 
And finally, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're running about and you're very anxious and busy and doing many things that are wonderful, but your sister has chosen the better part. Now, one day, I mean, obviously, Jesus' life was very short. He only lived to be about 33 years of age. He was a young man who went to heaven. His ministry was even shorter. It was only three years, maybe a little three and a half at the most. How many times would he stay in their house? How many opportunities? And then Jesus is gone. And I wonder if years later or decades later, Martha didn't look back and remember that day that she had Jesus in her house. She could have sat with him, listened to him, talked to him, drink him in. But she was in the kitchen most of the afternoon and then got that rebuke. And so it's very touching to think about. Here's another instance where, of course, another of the Lord's favorites, Simon Peter. Luke chapter 21, or 22, rather verse 31. Let's read this out loud. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brother. Now, this is, a, this is a serious one because if Simon, Simon, you know, when you say a name twice, you're, you're like, I want to get your attention. Hello. Satan's been talking about you. How many of you don't want really Satan talking about you to the Lord or anybody else? I don't want his attention. He goes, he's been talking. He wants you. He wants to take you out. But Simon, look at me. I prayed for you. He will not take you out. And the reason that he wants you, Simon, but I'm not going to let him. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am standing between you behind me and the devil. And the devil has to go through me to get to you. And he is not getting through. And that's not only true for Simon Peter, but anyone who follows and loves and believes in Jesus Christ, the devil has to go through Jesus and he ain't getting through to get to you. Amen. So what's good for Simon is good for you and good for me. Martha, Martha, Simon, Simon, Ray, Ray. Throw your own name in there. And then this last one, Acts chapter 9, verse 4. Uh, 9, verse 4. Let's read this out loud. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is one of the most unusual stories, testimonies, I think, in the entire Bible. Because after just hearing about Jesus, you know, ripping uh, the, the Pharisees and the hypocrites and the arrogant and the prideful, you, you know, their, their trophy would have been Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And yet Jesus, and this guy was so determined, so against Jesus of Nazareth, so against the early Christianity that was called the way, because they, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is on his way to Damascus, Syria, He's so serious, so devoted as an Orthodox Jew. He is arresting believers that Jesus is the Messiah and throwing them in jail and in prison. And while he is on the road to Damascus, a light brighter than the sun, so that you cannot see the sun, appears and speaks these words from heaven. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's knocked to the ground, and what does he say? Uh, who is it, Lord? This is Jesus, whom you have been persecuting. And I love that because 
Saul was really going after believers, but Jesus took it personally. You touch them, you touch me. But, but I mean, what a radical thing that uh, the only one in that way at that time that got that divine revelation, God knew what Paul could be and what he would become. He would write much of the New Testament, and God would take a Pharisee who is arrogant and prideful and, and reveal himself to him, and he would become a believer in Jesus, and he would run in the opposite direction and become a leader in the church, and literally God used the apostle Paul to gut Rome. Of its, because there were people 2,000 years ago who literally believed in little gods and statues and bowed down to them and prayed to them and gave food to them and stuff like that, but it pretty much rocked that whole ancient world of idolatry when he said, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you about the real God, the living God and who has revealed himself through his son, Jesus. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So here in, you know, for Jerusalem, 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 the city of peace, often called the holy city. But Jesus is weeping because it is now turned into a city of violence and a city of unholiness. It was a city that had killed all of the prophets, basically going back to Abel and all the way to Zechariah. And now they would kill God's own son, reject and kill God's own son. And yet still, it's the heart of love that is reaching out as the Lord is reaching out to this world. So here, I want you to look at this, the next thing from verse 37. What is, his, what is revealed by Jesus saying this, uh, being emotional, crying out twice, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I wish that I could, you know, like a mother hen, wrap my arms around you as if, a, you know, wanting to protect a, a mother hen, her chicks from a coming storm or maybe from a hawk that is coming down to devour them. And it reveals his heart. His heart's desire is to protect, to nourish, and to cherish. He says, you're rejecting me, but here's what I really want to do. I want to gather you, all of you, and I want to draw you to myself and I want to put my arms around you, and I want you to be protected, and I want you to be safe, and I want to deliver you from your enemies, and I want to heal you, and I want to make you whole, and I want you to fulfill your divine destiny and your purpose. You are to be the light to the whole world as a city set on a hill, Jerusalem, the city of peace. When there is peace in Jerusalem, there will be peace in all of the earth. And Jesus longed to draw them together to wrap his arms around him. And, and I love thinking about how his voice must have just been filled with so much emotion, so raw and so real. I like this verse in Psalm 36, verse 7. David knew it. David caught that spirit. David talked about it. And I want you to know the Lord feels this way about you today. Whatever you're going through, let's read it out loud. Psalm 36, verse 7. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. When you decide to draw near to the Lord, know this, that, you know, he's not sitting there with his hand on his hip, scowling, one eyebrow raised, angry, stern, what's wrong with you? No, it's as, it's, a, it's as a dad on his knees, his arms are stretched wide like a mother hen. Come to me. Let me put my arms around you. The wings of the angels, the wings of my presence, the wings of my glory, the wings of my love. 
and I'm going to watch over you and bless you and take you and into my arms and put my hand of favor upon you. How many of you want that? That's what you're made for. That's what we're designed for. That's what the Lord desires to do. It is God's desire that every man, every woman, and every boy, and every girl come into the arms of his love, in the refuge of his wings. Well, the last thing that Jesus said in verse 37 is, but you are not willing. So the question this morning is, are you willing? Are you desirous? Will you draw near to him? <laughs> you know, I, I feel that the Lord is even now, I, I, I sense that the Spirit of God in the midst of so much chaos, so much division, we can only, I think we can easily see through the human conflict that it's not just America. You do know that. Every, you know, region of the world, I don't care if it's Europe, I don't care if it's Asia or Latin America or Africa, uh, all over the world, certainly within our own country, you know, and what we see in the natural is a window through which those who have spiritual eyes can witness that there is a spiritual titanic battle going on for this world, for its future. And here is the Lord saying, oh, how I want to wrap my arms around you, but you were not willing. God wants to heal this world. And I know that there are people, you have friends, and I have people that talk to me, and as a pastor, and they write in and they go, how can I, I can't believe in a God of love that will allow this and that and the other thing. I've lost my faith in God. And I say, well, man, the opposite to me. I've lost my faith in human beings. I've lost my faith in man. God's the only hope. He's the only one that makes any sense. Jesus is saying, this is what I wanted to do for you, but you were not willing. Today, if the leaders of the world, the governments of the world, would humble themselves and get on their knees, confess their sins, repent, turn from their wicked ways, call upon the name of the Lord, God would revive and heal the whole world. If our leaders would lead us in that way. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and repent of their wicked deeds, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. But it's still possible. And we're going to pray that God will bring revival here. Are we willing? What a great opportunity was given to Israel. Uh, This is his desire. But I do want you to know this. How, how did Jesus survive knowing what was going to happen, knowing the rejection, knowing Romans are going to come in, knowing they're going to lose their nation, they're going to lose their temple, they're going to lose everything? How could he continue on? What did he have, to, you know, to, to inspire him? There was, even then, in the midst of all of that, 2,000 years ago, a thing called the remnant. Everybody say remnant. Remnant. There was a Remnant. Not all the Pharisees rejected Jesus. Not all of the Jews rejected Jesus. There were some who believed, and those are the, those who wrote the New Testament. And they clung to him, and they believed in him. And then they were lost, and when the shepherd was pierced, then all the sheep scattered. But then he, after the resurrection, he appeared to them, he comforted them, strengthened them, said, now go, I'm going to send my spirit upon you. And the little scaredy cat named Peter, Simon Peter, Goes, you know, was afraid. They saw what they did to Jesus. Oh, man, they'll do that to me. And they're hiding in little homes and locked doors, shaking. 
But then when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, Jesus goes, or, or Peter goes right to the very place, the temple, the southern steps, and he begins proclaiming, Jesus of Nazareth, who just days ago rejected and crucified, has risen from the dead. He is both Lord and Messiah. He's the Christ. And if you repent, you will be saved and delivered. And the Spirit fell and 3,000 believed. And 3,000 Jewish people and many of the Pharisees began coming into the family of God. There was a remnant born then. And guess what? There is a remnant today. And God is willing to spare a, a, a continent for the sake of a remnant. He is willing to spare a world for a remnant. If you are the remnant, only a few of you in your family line or tree, hey, you have no idea how powerful that little remnant of your faith in Jesus is, that it's because of you that God is able to watch over and defend and protect and prepare and look over your family because he's waiting for the day that finally their eyes are open and they realize that what you have done is set an example for them. And then through you, God will save your whole house and he'll wrap his arms around them, love them, heal them, forgive them, bless them, and bring them into his family. Amen? Verse 38, very short, Jesus says, see, again an exclamation point, he's still emotional, your house is left to you desolate. Only a few days earlier, Jesus had referred to the temple as his father's house, but it had so long been profaned and desecrated, he now called it your house, and basically to the nation as a whole, and you're going to lose your house. There's a scripture in the Old Testament, basically in Ezekiel, around nine, chapters 9 and 10, where, the, you, know, the, you know, how bad it got in the Old Testament was Israel rebelled, they stopped worshiping the Lord, they started worshiping idols, sacrificing their children, violence, all kinds of weirdness, immorality. Then they dragged their little, you know, idol demon things literally into the temple itself. And finally, the Spirit of God, the, the glory of God, because the glory of God would manifest in the Holy of Holies. And Ezekiel says he saw a supernatural vision. The glory of God lifted up from off, you know, the altar where it was above the threshold. It's like God took a step back. The glory moved. It went up. And he was waiting. Hey, did anybody notice? I just took a step back. Have you ever been in a relationship and the other person's like, they don't see you, they don't hear you, they don't talk to you, they don't relate to you, they're just kind of like, hello, and you're like, hello, and you take a step back and you go, they didn't even notice. That's what God did. Nothing happened. And so then he moved from the threshold back all the way to the eastern gate. Now he's not even in the temple mount, he's at the eastern gate, and the glory rested there and waited for Israel to notice something was missing, gone, or to repent or say, hey, Lord, where'd you go? Nothing. So finally, he, the Spirit and the glory leaves the eastern gate, crosses the Kidron Valley, and goes to above the Mount of Olives, the mountains on the east, and waits there. Now he's not even on Mount Moriah. Nobody prayed, nobody cried out, nobody missed anything, nobody sensed the Spirit of God had left. And finally, prophetically, they said, Ichabod. Everybody say, Ichabod. You remember in the story about Ichabod Crane. Where did Ichabod... Crane's name come from Ichabod is in the book of Ezekiel, and the word Ichabod in Hebrew means the glory has departed. 
And God finally left the house, and they just kept going on. Finally then, God had to allow their enemies to come in, and that temple was destroyed. And they went to Babylon until they repented, and God brings them back. So there are two times. Have you noticed a pattern here? They rebel against God. God's glory leaves. The temple gets destroyed. And then God brings them back. That happened once. But now in the second temple, it happened again. So now they're scattered, and it's all in preparation for the second coming, the return of the glory of the Lord. And that is coming very, very soon. I want to close with verse 39. Here's the last verse. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So what I want to write here is the ensured salvation of Israel is found in Jesus' word until. Jesus says, from now on, you will not see me. Though the Jewish people can see him through believers, because all of you who are believers carry the Holy Spirit within you, and they see the love of God. And, and I, you know, uh, I don't know how aware you are of this, but we are at a unique time in history right now where Israel, uh, you know, has many enemies. There's a lot of anti-Semitism in the world. Uh, Israel feels very, very lonely and very alone. And so there's uh, some good uh, support from America, but they realize even more than America, it's like Christians who believe the Bible and that the Bible tells the Christians that they should bless the Jews. And the Jews are like, we're okay with that. We like that. But it's also provoking questions like, so why? So you believe, where did you read that? And we say, well, it's actually in the Bible. Yeah, but where in the Old Testament, in the, in the prophets? And we are your children. You know how Malachi said, God will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. Well, in a way, our spiritual moms and dads are the prophets and the prophetesses that were in the Old Testament. We are their children, and God is bringing a healing. God is bringing a reconciliation. God's opening the eyes of the Jewish people. They're being provoked, if I may say, to jealousy because of the spirit and the supernatural and the goodness of God and the grace of God and the love that pours through the church toward them. And God is doing something very, very precious. So in the end, here, note Jesus' word until. You will not see me going forward until. Were it not for this word, that would have been the final moment in history as far as God is concerned for the Jewish people. You rejected me, that's it. But Jesus said, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Notice that Jesus did not say, unless you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. If he had said, unless, that means the condition's on them. But he didn't say that. He made it a prophecy. Until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's why the prophet Zechariah said, there will come a day in the very end. And this is, gonna, this is literally going to bring Jesus out of heaven and bring him back to the earth. The Jewish people, Zechariah prophesied, shall look upon him, the resurrected Jesus, in heaven, coming back down from heaven to the earth. They shall look on him whom they have pierced, and they shall weep for him and mourn for him as one mourns for their only begotten. A divine revelation is coming. And in the great mystery of things, as Paul said in Romans 9 through 11, that all Israel shall be saved. Until you say, 
And that is going to be, that's going to be to the day that rocks this world. When the Jewish people reverse what they did 2,000 years ago, and they look up in the face of Jesus, who is like a lamb who is slain before the foundations of the world, and they say, blessed is Jesus of Nazareth, who comes in the name of the Lord. And that will bring literally heaven to the earth. And that day is coming and is before us. We are privileged to live for such a time as this. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.